HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wild Alaska Pollock, the fish of the future. Learn more and try a free sample at wildakpollock.com. Have you heard? It's party time. Monday, December 3rd is Winter in the Garden, Heritage Radio Network's second annual year-end gala at the Brooklyn Botanic Gardens Palm House and Yellow Magnolia Cafe. Join HRN's staff, hosts, members, and some very talented chefs and bartenders for a delicious evening that will kick off the holiday season and support our end-of-year fundraising drive. The evening will begin with a VIP hour, complete with bubbles and oysters. Then, all of our guests will work their way around two spacious rooms filled with food stations and bars, sampling fare from some of our favorite chefs. Sip on your choice of cocktails, beer, wine, sake, and cider while bidding on exclusive silent auction items. 2019 is our 10th anniversary. So, whether you've been a member since Roberta's first opened, or if you just discovered your new favorite food podcast, please consider supporting us with a ticket purchase so we can start the year on solid ground. We'd love to see you at the garden. So join us on December 3rd. For more information and to purchase tickets, go to heritageradionetwork.org slash gala. Kane, welcome to In the Sauce, a new podcast about building food brands. When we launched a line of fresh sauces for grocery, I knew we were jumping into something crazy. Haven's Kitchen is a cooking school, cafe, and event space. Learning the world of CPG has been a massive learning experience. So in my efforts to get myself educated, I started meeting everyone I know and respect who could advise me. I had questions about everything, from production and distribution to sales and legal, PR, and social media. Then I started having those conversations here as a podcast so that other entrepreneurs can learn from them as well. This is the story of Haven's Kitchen Sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Chris Pashuk and Sean Hurley from our distributor, Dora's Naturals. Dora's distributes natural and organic perishable products to over 4,000 stores and built a great reputation primarily in beverage and dairy. 
Today, they carry a bunch of great brands that you've seen probably everywhere, including GT Kombucha, Harmless Harvest, Remedy Organics, and Matcha Bar, as well as many more. So, hi, guys. And Haven's Kitchen, too. And Haven's Kitchen, too. Hi. Um, I'm also here with Courtney, who was last time on this podcast at Fresh Direct and then came over to be our market manager at Haven's Kitchen Sources. Yes, very excited to be here again. Yeah, and you got to say sauces. Sauces. Exactly. (laughs) Um, So I'm very excited to have the distributors on on the show. I think first because both of you guys have invaluable advice to give me and a bunch of people out there. And second because I feel like it's our opportunity to kind of flesh out some stuff. I think it was like a little rocky at the beginning and I feel like it's just a great opportunity for us to kind of like clear up any frustration that we've had on either side um, and, you know, all have beer and pizza after. How long do we have? <laughs> exactly. So you'll be on for three and a half hours. I'll tell you my feelings. You can tell me yours. Uh, sound good? Yes. Okay, great. Um, but before I want to get into the like into the nitty gritty about, you know, how to work best with your distributor. I, I really do find it interesting sort of like hearing like what you wanted to be when you were in fourth grade. So what were you doing? Where were you? And where did you see yourself as a grown up? I grew up in Northern California. So for me, growing up was either surfing or riding mountain bikes. So it was something to do with sports. That okay. really where I Which figured is I'd end up. a little bit like what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And Sean? Similar, although I was on the East Coast. I grew up in New Jersey. Uh-huh. Um, I actually, fourth grade, I probably wanted to be a firefighter when I yeah. was in the fourth grade. Yeah. Thought that Similar was a cool job. to what you're doing. Yeah, now. I guess so. You're putting out a lot of fires. Putting out a lot yeah. of fires. That's right. true. That's true. Um, Without the benefits. <laughs> right. I know. I know. Well, you know, that's a whole other thing. So, how did both of you, I mean, how did you end up in food and beverage, Chris? I left college and I ended up with, um, with a good friend of mine that signed up with a company called Odwalla Juice and um, I didn't know anything about the food industry but I interviewed with with the Odwalla Juice company and ended up early 90s being a route sales driver which was a combination yes it was a combination of being a route driver picking product at the same time being a a, you know a a salesperson were they refrigerated Uh, it was a perishable product that was not pasteurized so it was refrigerated but extremely temperamental when it came into heat so um, we had a I think a shelf life the highest shelf life we had was 21 days oh wow our lowest shelf life was seven to ten days for carrot juice for example right yeah because that was before anyone was HPP no HPP even back then they didn't do HTST pasteurization on juice okay and Sean were you a food person and or how did you end up doing this um I guess I've always kind of been a foodie but I I needed a job out of college, mm-hmm. and Chris gave me that opportunity. So. And so you started at Dora's right out of college? Mm-hmm. Right out of college, yeah. Wow. And what he was... He was an analyst, actually, when he came right out mm-hmm. of college. I so... stole him from a different team. <laughs> okay, cool. So then, wait, go back a little bit, because you were an analyst analyzing... <laughs> um, mostly, for Dora, it's mostly milk and, and dairy products. So, um, like, how... How the ordering was going and like the um, like yeah. what people wanted and what yeah they pretty wanted much it. It, it, honestly it was part time right so it was only a couple hours a week um, and my desk was like 
two feet from Chris's, and at the time he needed um, a new sales rep for the market for actually for Odwalla juice. Odwalla had just right. gotten rid of their distribution in New York, and Doris was taking it over. Um, and yeah, and Chris, um, I was his first hire for that role. So, so going back to Adwala, so, I mean, you wrote me, I, I like, I called you yesterday when <laughs> I got your bio. Cause I just thought I was like, I have no idea that this happened, but basically you worked for Adwala and then you left because they got too corporate. You went, you ended up on the East coast through a th- series of things right yeah i grew up in half moon bay and odwalla was originally from watsonville california right and they ended up building a distribute uh, a manufacturing facility in dinuba and a <laughs> distribution center in south san francisco mm-hmm. long story short when i interviewed for odwalla um their hr was still in in watsonville so for me it felt like a very much a local company right and um and i had a great experience with them i just i worked through a lot of challenges whether it was a moving. twenty-one day shelf life is a challenge. Moving, yeah, moving from yeah. a sales rep that's deemed for credits um, and working probably a sixteen-hour day probably wouldn't be so kosher nowadays, right? Um, you know, and it was commissioned, and uh, and then moving into a, a route operation, an operation support position. I, I managed probably fifty plus route trucks, and and I managed all of their orders from production to to loading, right? Um, and it didn't leave much room for error. Right. And then you ended up working at a juice company on the East Coast that ended up getting bought by them. So I left, I left Odwalla after all of that, the burnout experience. Right. And um, I went for for a juice company in the East Coast. Right. And the funny thing is the issues were the same. Right. (laughs) But I ended up in New York and I found the, you know, DSD challenge is much more different in New York. And I really enjoyed my experience like from day one. I just connected. So we're going to have to talk about DSD because if a lot of people are like me, they didn't necessarily understand the difference between a DSD distributor and like a, I guess, a distribution traditional center. Traditional wholesaler. Yeah, or, tradi- yeah. Right. So can you maybe explain the difference? An example would be Udwala, which is a self-distribution and in, in many cases still a, a direct DSD distributor, which is somebody that's company owned. They have their own company truck. The product on the truck is typically company-owned or partnered. You know, Woodwall at one point, for example, was partnered with Palm, so they did some Palm and some Paramount Farms product. But for the most part, they're representative of just those brands. Right. And to have that level of service is super expensive for one, two, or three brands. Right, because you can't even fill a truck sometimes if you're... Right. It's crazy. Right. Um, So when you take that model, even when I look at San Francisco, you bring that to New York, when you have... Probably every stop you do, 25 to 30 stops a day, you have a potential of getting a $65 parking ticket. Ticket. Mm-hmm. You have to have some decent dollars per stop. So one, two, three brands aren't going to do it. So that means that, you know, so I guess in Dora's case, they've consolidated like 40 plus brands-ish. We like to be 35 to 40, and that's kind of our sweet spot, we think, in, 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 in categories with a limited number of competing brands. It's tough in Greek yogurt, it's tough in water, it's tough in tea. Right. But for the most part, we try to be non-competing in those categories so we don't cannibalize our own business. And um, So we're the only fresh sauce you're going to have. Yes. Great. (laughs) I I love these mics, by the way. I know, I know. I know, they're so much. Don't you feel, like, kind of cool on the mic? I know. I know, it's funny. I hate, like, print and TV. I'm, like, super camera shy, but I love this. So... 
going back to DSD for a second, and I and I'm we're kind of getting out of the history a little bit, but I do think it's there's so many things to ask you guys about that maybe we should just start talking about distribution. So for a small brand, right? So we came to you a little bit, a little bit differently. We were at Fancy Food, basically Whole Foods and and Fresh Direct wanted the product. They were like, hey, here's this sauce thing. They gave us you. We were sort of told that there are very few options for a small brand that, um, I guess, especially for a perishable product, we can't just like drop off a cooler at all of the 14 different Whole Foods around town, which means that we need someone to distribute it for us. And there are bigger distributors, right, like a UNFI, um, but we were told at that time that we were too small, we'd get lost. Mm-hmm. We're like these little tiny cases, they're shipping, you know, they're trucking a lot of stuff. And then the secondary advantage was that you guys would actually like s- make sure that it didn't just get dropped off like at the loading dock, but that you would be packing it out on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Is that sort of, would you say that for a small brand who's looking at distribution, is that kind of what the difference is between someone like Adora's and a bigger one like a UNFI? Yeah, I think the differences are greater, but just to bring up UNFI as an example, I think they're a great route to market if that's the way you choose to go route to market. You might have to have more people at the end of that. Mean, so meaning that... If you have six people in Manhattan and they can fill reorders for UNFI, it's probably going to work if all they want is the top tier accounts in Manhattan. UNFI has a minimum, just like many other distributors, so they're not going to go to every location. But if, if that's what your goal is, and, and, and I guess my answer to you is it's all about expectations. Right. You know, it's, it's the first thing that, that we do, you know, besides negotiating an agreement, is, is understand each other's expectations. And if your expectations are to be in 2,000 accounts in six months, it's probably not going to happen. Right. Because, I mean, going back, so again, like let's say, I mean, I think the sauce is a little different in my case because it is refrigerated. It's and refrigerated. That, and that just, it didn't have a space. That's the challenge. Right. No, there's no. And yeah. so just for anyone who's listening, we've talked about this before, but, you know, one of the challenges, um, and I do want to talk about category a little bit because I think it's interesting. One of the challenges of the sauces is that literally there is no fresh sauce aisle right there's like condiments there's cooking sauces there's pasta sauces in the pasta section but we're not really a pasta sauce so there's you know there and Courtney when you were on as the fresh direct merchant there are specific buyers for specific things so I mean I'm looking at you guys but you know this right but it's not just buying it's who owns the real estate in the store right that's the biggest challenge is in the old days, and it doesn't really happen anymore, even with Whole Foods, is you had no limitation on cross-merchandising because everybody was kind of like this joyous, you know. So even if a dairy buyer brought my product in, the, they might put the it in produce Delhi guy would be fine to put it there, or the meat guy would put it there, and it was fine, and that yeah, doesn't happen and anymore. And Whole Foods is caught up with the rest of the you know retail market. Right. You know, everybody's very you know protective of their real estate at this point. Right, and that's why, I mean, that's why I like e-commerce so much. Mm-hmm. You know, because on on an e-commerce website, first of all, I can be in like five different aisles, quote unquote, and it doesn't cost them anything and there's no real big issue. So I could be in condiments, but I could also be in sauces and, you know, they can say, oh, you know, you're buying this thing. You might like this sauce, whereas that's really hard to do in a traditional grocery. And, and I also think uh, the benefit of e-com is that... Um, 
it's so content driven because right. it's it's really hard to find a product on, on a new item page. So in order to really push product, everybody kind of needs to get together from different categories and be like the meat merchant has to be like, hey, I have this, you know, this these ribs that I really want to push. Right. Uh, what recipe can I use from your category or what ingredients from your category right. can I use to really leverage that visibility? And right. so that's why you see like on a Fresh Direct or a food cake, we do so well right. because we, we push a lot of content. And it's so interesting actually because it's like, it's a benefit that came out of a problem right because people aren't wandering around a, an e-commerce site they're going in directly and they're doing that too in the store but they are passing by things right. when they're walking the aisles and they might see something that catches their eye or they might see something on promo so those guys have to be super collaborative mm -hmm. but going back to your point about distribution you you know you have these different buyers and a small brand like mine without someone who's like really putting it in there right. and like so, you know, kind one of the challenges, it. Right. And one of the challenges, and I, I heard you mention on a previous podcast, is you were putting dairy previously. Mm -hmm. Dairy, you're expected to do crazy velocities. Right. right. So, you know, an emerging product, even if it's a dairy product, is challenged with that goal, right. let alone a non-dairy product in that right. same space. Right. I mean, and Whole Foods happens to be different because Whole Foods happens to have refrigerated condiments and they have specialty. Right. They're unique. Um, whereas, like, if I'm going to those bigger stores that are, you know, have central warehousing in North Carolina, for example, you're either with the dairy buyer or you're with the produce buyer right. if you're a refrigerated product. Right. And, um, you know, it's that it is going to be challenging, but we'll make it through. Um, You've got Sean. It'll be okay. Exactly. <laughs> Sean will keep doing and Courtney. It. So, so can you just elaborate a little more on the differences between uh, like a DSD Dora's and a larger distributor, like a, a more sure. central location? And I think distributor. it comes down to the brand. I think the brand has to come out of the gate and decide what they're going to be. Are they going to be a retail driven brand meaning non you know reporting type product up and down the street or are they going to be a warehouse acv gain type product okay right? so you have to define acv <laughs> <laughs> and can you be both i mean i'm assuming you're talking about like i don't know that we're an up and down the street kind of brand i'm actually not sure about that yeah well, you kind of fit a unique niche a non-reporting non up and down the street brand. so non-reporting i think you're a specialty brand and yeah. i think that's okay to build yourself out that way i think we're still learning retails i think we're still learning package size and right flavor profiles and all that um i think there's some brands that have successfully gone direct to retail through uh, you know with cns or direct to retail through their own warehousing system you're using a lot of acronyms chris uh, okay go back to acv for a second so acv you know Brands that have a really aggressive approach to their exit will typically talk ACV. So when, when when we're approached by new brands and if they start talking, listen, how many accounts can they get into right away? Right. We kind of understand what their exit plan is. I think for us, we enjoy that because it's a, it's a different relationship. But right. there's also the brand, they're the brands that are like yours. They're right. like, listen, we might want to go deep and fewer. Right. And that's okay too. And that's kind of our uniqueness, Dora's, right. versus you know, either working with a UNFI or other wholesalers or even some other DSD distributors in the market that might not have that level of attention to the right. brand. Got it. So, and then you also said um, non-reporting. What does that mean? Nationally, New York's kind of an anomaly. If you take New York out of the U.S., most 
U.S. retailers report to kind of a data gathering system. Mm-hmm. It could be one of two or, or three. Like systems. on how Nielsen, we're we're called. Um, <laughs> We're in a group that that's called something like other right. random. They'll, yeah, they'll like put you in a right. bucket. Condiment, other yeah. condiments. Right. Yeah, it's called remaining. Remaining, remaining, yeah, remaining. is the name of the group. Yeah. But if you're a Greek yogurt, ACV yes. is important to you. Right. You want to make sure that you're gaining ACV, and your velocities are typically driven by you know the product itself, but also the retail as a promotional activity and all mm-hmm. that. New York is so unique because most of the customers that we serve are non-reporting, so. Right, because there aren't these big, massive, like, but, we don't have the but massive But that's your following, but here. those are the people that should right. be buying your product. Those are the right. influencers. And and so although you don't have that information, typically from a data, you know, from an IRI or Spins or Nielsen, mm-hmm. for from Adora's distribution standpoint, we provide that information. It's not pull-through because nobody gives us the pull-through information, but we give you the information that helps you sell. Right. I mean, because basically right now, you know, Courtney and I have been talking about this. Our job right now is, okay, we've been on the shelf for a, a year. Like, it will be a year in January, which feels like a very long year. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been a year. And hey, here's the story. We're selling this many units per store per week. This is how much, you know, we've grown. This is the amount that we're growing more and more each week, you know, week over week. And we're basically creating a story that will then go and we'll then go tell to big grocery stores outside of this area. And that's what the difference kind of, like you help us make that story right exactly and it's not just the deck right it's the Mm -hmm. momentum of the market so typically brands that will launch here and they might you know they might launch in chicago or you know northern southern california it's also about kind of the presence you know and 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 hitting the influencer accounts and working with the people that are really you know driving content right so right okay so we're going to take a little break and then when we come back we're going to dig into all sorts of mistakes that i've made that we should not let other people make This episode is brought to you by Wild Alaska Pollock, the fish of the future. Wild Alaska Pollock is incredibly delicious, highly nutritious, and perpetually sustainable. Among the last frontier's many natural wonders, Wild Alaska Pollock just might be the state's best kept secret. This cousin to cod has lean, snowy white meat, delicate texture, and a mild flavor that makes it extremely versatile and tasty. Only pollock caught in Alaskan waters by U.S. fishermen can be labeled Wild Alaska Pollock. Unlike other pollock products, Wild Alaska Pollock is filleted and frozen just once within hours of being caught to preserve freshness, flavor, and texture. And now, food service professionals can try Wild Alaska Pollock for free. Request your sample at wildakpollock.com and discover the fish of the future. That's wildakpollock.com. Hello, I'm Allie Kane, and uh, we are in the middle of In the Sauce, and I'm with Chris and Sean from Dora's, our distributor, and Courtney from Havens. Hi. Um, and so 
um, we've been talking a little bit about the difference between like the type of distributor that Doris is versus like what is the if it's not a DSD, it's a. Well, I think DSD is kind of a generalized term, but I think if you're expecting DSD, direct store delivery, I think you're expecting to have contact with the people that are representing your product. You expect the distributor to have hands on it. Right. They're going to call you back. They're going to call you back. They're going to okay, give you right. reports. They're right. going to be, you know, at store level, having a relationship with your retailers too. Right. Um, so that's a big difference. And, and I guess going back to that, because Sean, I feel like, you are our relationship with Whole Foods. Mm -hmm. Like basically you work on our behalf at Whole Foods is the way I sort of see it. And you work on Whole Foods behalf to interpret them and their needs to us. Would you say that's kind of a fair description? Yeah, I would. I, yeah, sort of the middleman in between you and Whole Foods and making sure everything goes for both smoothly. parties goes right. smoothly. Yeah. And that doesn't happen with like a well, I think big distributor. Um, or does it? I think it might. I think mm -hmm. the difference, I can probably compare better a broker network versus a distributor who represents as a broker. So right. traditionally a beverage distributor, nine times out of 10, even greater than that, there'll be nobody else representing the product but the exclusive beverage distributor. Right. But their margins are much higher. They're 30 to 35 points. Right. So when you get into kind of the perishable world, sometimes there'll be overlap of a, of a broker. Right. But you might be, again, one of 50 items that they, they right. represent. Right. So for us as a distributor, we have a bigger stake in it. So not only right. as the broker and distributor, the more we sell, the more we make both on the wholesale and, and the brokerage. Right, which makes sense. Okay, so going back to the way that we kind of came in, it was a little not normal from what I understand. Like we kind of got a little bit sort of like, here, take this brand. Here is a distributor for you. I didn't honestly even... Do you want me to tell you how it really went? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that not how it went? No. So I think you know, the, the, the conversation is common for Sean and me. So we have a really good relationship with the Whole Foods region here in the Northeast. And what we typically do is engage with them on new emerging items. And, and they're very Democrat or, you know, they, they spread across the system between the other DSG distributors, other items that they mm -hmm. might think have right. potential value in their stores. And they brought us Haven's Kitchen. They said, what do you think of this? And I said, that's pretty cool. You know, I like it a lot. And so I spoke with you, Allie, and and I said, listen, there's a couple of options. We can work together just on Whole Foods. Or we right. can do something bigger. And I think it took you a while to determine whether you wanted to work with us outside of Whole Foods. I had no idea that that was even I was option. rejected day one. <laughs> that was what was so funny. The first misunderstanding that we ever had, I was like, I have this feeling like... I'm in middle school and someone's trying to get me to break up with him, even though he just wants to break up with me. Like, I think I actually said that out loud because I didn't even know. I was like, do you do you what do you mean? Like, I, I just figured like, OK, now that you're taking it to Whole Foods, like you just take it to the other stores too. Like, why wouldn't that happen? You know, I didn't know that that was like an option. And I wasn't trying to figure anything out. I was just trying to figure out why you didn't seem to want to like have that happen. Right. And I think a normal wholesaler, just even just a non-DSD distribution relationship, that's typically how it works. I think because we're in such a dense market and our team can only focus on so many brands, right. let alone the number of SKUs in the system, you know, if Whole Foods wants it, that's great. We're going to do a big job. We're going to kill it. Right. Sean's team's going to kill it. But the problem is I've got to pay commissions to those guys outside of Whole Foods. Right. In addition to the guys in Whole Foods, but outside of it. And I have to then 
potentially potentially mess up my relationship with people, brands that have signed much bigger deals. With right, me. right. So. Which which after you explained it, did make some sense. So what do you think a brand? Let's say I have a cookie brand, mm-hmm. and um, you guys think it's great, and it's going into Whole Foods, and a couple of other stores want it. Day one, what is the first thing that I should be doing? How should I be organized? How should I set up communications with you guys? What can I expect you to do? What are you expecting me to do? Like, what are those sort of like key indicators of success early on with a brand that you're working with? And I think the advantages of a brand that already has the ear of, say, a Whole Foods or a Fairway or a Fresh Direct, for for example, you know, they have a kind of a quick shoe in. At least we can kind of start selling. start somewhere and yeah. monitor that and to see what happens. I, I think that um, that brands that don't have that history, it's a little bit harder. And do you take brands that of have course, no have, no oh, no sales? Oh, I think probably 20, 30 percent of the brands that we carry now are pre-revenue. So interesting. So a brand can either try to get the store to say, yes, we want you, and then hopefully help you find a distributor, or they can go to the distributor and say, hey, do you like this product? Can you help me put it into stores? So I um, I did a, I normally do Netflix binge, but I did a uh, heritage um podcast binge and so i heard uh, courtney and charlotte talk about the sample room that they right, had yes the closet the closet uh-huh. and honestly sean and i do the same thing we're like oh my god just take it away so it's <laughs> interesting it people because it would never have occurred to me people send you guys product my my desk is piled with mm-hmm. this work i can't even explain it. it's ridiculous and and they look at me like i'm to blame i'm like i don't even know i don't even know what this product is so right a very small amount to answer your question a very small amount of products that i in, I, we sign up, uh, probably low single digits would be products that just send us samples. Right. Most of it's word of mouth, people we know. You might work with the same attorney. You might work with right. um, people from the past, whatever it might be. I think some of the great success stories would be matcha bar is a great success yeah. story. You know, Graham is notorious for being not so shy. And um, he called around the office every extension until he found somebody that would come over and talk to me and say, can you pick up the phone? This guy from Matcha Bar, you got to right. pick it up. Now, he's awesome. And it, but yeah. it worked. Yeah. But it worked. And, and I told him that. I said, listen, I don't know how you did it, but you got in. Right. right? So um, they didn't have anyone selling it yet? They no. went to you first. Yeah. That's so interesting. It's so funny because I think because I'm like an older mother and like it would never occur to me unless I had like unless I had it lined up and I knew I was going to sell it, I wouldn't make it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I just, it wouldn't, that well, my brain wouldn't even it. work that they'd way. Been of course. To, in that I mean, situation, they'd been to Japan, they've had their pop-up shops. Yep. They really believed yeah. in that. And, and they knew it was going to go somewhere. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, interesting. So what else does someone need to do to be successful other than harassing you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think, and we encourage the brands that we work with, whether they're pre-revenue or existing or, or whatever it might be, it's not just a relationship with us. So having that relationship with Whole Foods or Chris Manga or John Lawson or mm-hmm. whatever it might be locally, or even with Terry Byrne at Fairway or anybody else in locally in the market to say, maybe they see something that I don't. Like, right. We're not so crazy to think that we know everything. Um, in, in many cases, brands that come to us through you know that accommodation model, we take to the rest of the market. So the accommodation model means that Whole Foods has a bunch of different brands that they want to bring on board. They're fairly 
they sort of look at the different distributors mm-hmm. and they're like, this would be a good fit for you and this right. would be a good fit for you. So they're not only like funneling products no, to one. Sh- right. right. And, and everyone, We're not right. a frozen distributor. We're not a, honestly, we, d- we don't provide a lot of value in center store. You know, we, right. we actually do some high velocity um, kind of craft granola products, which mm-hmm. are cool. Yeah. You know, they're selling like $10 a bag, $12 a bag. And they do really well. And the reason I think we do so well with them is not because they're center store granola. It's because they're price point. So we can manage the inventory. We can manage the velocity. Right. We can take care of the promotions and right. samples and all so that. So in our case, because we were refrigerated, they're thinking like, right. okay, this really makes sense. And we kind of own that space. That's mm-hmm. kind of our space. So Right. Got it. Yeah. Um, and so the accommodation model that you mentioned is like, okay, so Whole Foods yes, we'll accommodate this brand that you want us to put on the shelf. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to work with that brand to get them on other shelves. Right. So that's when when, when right. you and I engage. And that's kinda, what I didn't understand. Right. That. And we engage. And you're like, well, didn't, wouldn't you just put on every other truck that you do? Right. And I think, I think partly by proving ourselves at the same time, continuing a dialogue. I think, you know, distribution and a supplier relationship is key. And, um, and that's what I do. Right. You know, that's what I do. I kind of manage the brands throughout our portfolio and through our channels and make sure there's a fit and there's a, there's so a relationship then, there. So then, again, going back to, like, so once a brand is in your warehouse and, or, you know, I don't know how you would say it correctly, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, totally. What do, what, first of all, do you need, you know, do you need a one singular point person at that brand? Does it need to be someone with sales experience? Do you prefer a certain, like, does that person sit down with you starting? I want somebody you know? to learn and understand our business. So I think the first thing that we ask for as a distributor, and I think most other distributors would say the same thing, is I want to make sure I have street-level support. Some people take that differently. I, I really prefer our brands to have kind of a, um, a model that is not just a brand ambassador up and down the street, but somebody that might help out with smaller chain calls and things like that. Right. So there has to be some engagement both up and down the street and kind of at a regional level. I think having... Um, I just want to break that down for people because I really understand that now. And, and this was like a big... I really didn't at the beginning. Because I think... What, and I've said this before and it sounds really dumb actually saying it now, but I know that it's... If you've never done this, why would you know this? But I think when you start off and you make a product that you know is really good and you've gotten a little bit of feedback from the world that like, yes, this is a good product and it should be out there, you sort of assume like, well, I make the product and they put the product on the shelf and people buy the product, so there you go. But it's actually, that's not how it goes. Not at all. Not at all. And there's all, and when you say ground level support, you know, one of the one of the sort of arguments or whatever you want to call it that we had at some point early on before Courtney came was I was like, I was getting like 10 DMs a day from Instagram followers that were like, I'm at Union Square and there's no chimichurri. And I didn't know where to put that information or what to do with it. So I would just like text you guys be like, there's no chimichurri at Union Square. Not thinking like, okay, I know they don't have 30 other products that they need to take care of because I knew that you did. And it certainly wasn't like my product is the most important. It's just I didn't know how complex the system was to make sure that it never went out of stock, even though there was stock at Dora's. And I didn't know that I needed to have someone checking because I figured that you guys were doing that. You know, there was just mm-hmm. all this I didn't know. And it's not know? even it's not even that simple. I think New York is unique and I've worked DSD in Northern, Southern, Central California, as well as, um, 
you know, the Midwest. I've worked in Texas. I've worked in Colorado. I've done all that. Uh, New York is a very different market when it comes to relationships. Right. And it, I think it's great that we have a long-term relationship with our retail partners, but the brand should have the same thing too, and the brand should be in there wearing their Haven's Kitchen hat or right. whatever you know. Bonding brand they represent. with the buyers Bonding at with the, the store. It's leverage. It's right. relationships. It's all. And that, that is probably very uniquely you York, <laughs> because we don't have. <laughs> Because we don't have that like one distribution center that sends out to their 20 stores, even Whole Foods, which has what 17, 18 stores, they each individual buyer has you have to have a relationship. We have 43 with. stores. I think you're 19. I think. Right. Yeah. 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 But we you're just, a local regional slash. Yes. You know. Yeah. Slash but I mean, it's like as opposed to there's the big mama, and then that big mama Forces sends out it all to down. all of her it, it doesn't babies. happen that way anymore. Right. No, yeah. not in New York for yeah. sure. Okay. So success. So having someone who builds a a a field level relationship with the buyers at the stores. Mm -hmm. Having someone who, what else? Interestingly, in this market, because the velocities are so high, we've even partnered with our brands to have overlapping merchandise or packing out. So, for example, in the higher velocity stores like Union Square and Columbus Circle and Tribeca. So, for you listeners out there, <laughs> higher velocity basically means like in some of those stores will sell 30 to 40 pouches a week of sauce in some of the lower velocity stores we sell more like a case a week you know that's the very low end right so if you take an item like and i think haven's kitchen is going to get there but if you take harmless harvest for example and they're right. doing 150 cases of coconut water a day a day a day in one store union square for example just we can't be there the entire time to pack right. it out so what we've done with with um suppliers of, the, of those velocities We've worked together on a schedule that says, okay, I'm going to be there in the morning, you're going to be there at lunch, mm -hmm. and we might have somebody else come in the afternoon. Right. You, know, you can't always depend on store personnel. I think everybody's more right. are, are No, tight. yeah, and I think, that's, I think that's another misconception. People who've never worked in grocery don't know that like those, the, the, the people walking around in grocery, they're, they're working their asses off, but they can't tend to every single product and make sure that it looks good and make sure that it's like front facing and make sure that all of that. But when you say pack out, can you just define pack out? Cause I didn't know what that was until you taught me. Yeah. I think we like to think of our people, all of them as salespeople, but I think we now call them sales merchandising people because we realize there's all kind of a labor aspect to their role. And as you mentioned, especially in Whole Foods where they've merged categories. So for example, a grocery guy might also have whole body responsibilities, so he can't have as much right. time doing beverage, for example. Um, we wanna make sure that, um, that our people help out and right. do that. So the merchandising aspect, making tags, making sure tags are up, promotions are up. In the case of Whole Foods, prime skin, tags, whatever it might be. Right. Let's talk a little bit about promotions and promotion calendars and, you know, so, I think at the beginning, again, this is just probably a misconception a lot of brands have, but you know, like you said, everyone thinks that they have gold. You know, I don't think it was coming from like a place of like, I have the best product in the world, but what I didn't want to do is lower the price too much too often to create a, a conception that this is a brand that you should wait for it to go on sale to buy. And what I've learned over the course of the year is that that's very 
it's very unlikely as a small emerging brand to send that message that you should be promoing and you and you should be putting you know you should be lowering the price in certain ways at certain And I times. don't think it's just the, the fact that you're lowering their price. I think if you look at y- your few options as a small brand, it, one is sampling. Yeah, so let's talk about yeah. the sample. 150 but bucks or so a sample, which I think they're valuable in many right. locations. So that's like, a pr- that's like a demonstration. Right. So if you right. if you have a demonstration, say you're authorized for 42 Whole Foods stores, are you going to say I'm going to do a demo at every, every right. store location once a month? That's a lot of money. Right. So just for people listening, so when you see those people standing with the little table and the little cup of tea or the little cookie or the little like sauce in our case, that is called a demo. That costs the brand about $150 for that time to do. It's very unlikely that you're going to sell $150 worth of product in the three hours or the four hours that you have that demo. So you have to be very thoughtful and mindful about where you're doing and how often and choosing your stores wisely. So that's one option right. for so getting Right, so the other people. is just getting the yellow tag up. So just having a promotional schedule that... that really acts as hey come over here and buy me right versus having somebody at a table and saying try this it's, it's a right. very similar type experience um actually in this market we find that it has similar results right so if you have a really good demo rep and they might be doing you know they might do three times the average pull rate right if you have a good demo you should be doing 30 percent more or right 40 more 50 percent more it depends on the, on the on the price point but right without that cost right and so a yellow tag um when you say that, so what is a typical, you know, we're doing our first promo mm-hmm. um, with Whole Foods in January. So what, so there are a few different types of promos, right? And you kind of have to figure out what works for your brand a little bit. There's like a two for fill in the blank. Well, the There's re- like a- The retail like, price point, super important, right? You have to understand, assuming that you're at the correct re- threshold. So if your threshold's three ninety nine mm-hmm. every day, Two ninety nine is probably your next price point, right? And um, you know the key is getting secondary locations. The key is getting so secondary locations <laughs> <laughs> means that Sean, you better get those for her. <laughs> that you're just you're not only in one spot. So you know, for us, what would be like? W- give us an example for the sauces of like where you would want our secondary locations, or our, where would you want us during the promo time? Let's say. Want me to answer? Sure. So, so for example, <laughs> we, we talked a little bit about the politics at store level. If you had an, an account that wasn't so concerned with politics, you might want to say, listen, my secondary location is going to be in produce outside of dairy. Right. Or my secondary location is going to be in the meat section. Even right. though I, I might cater to more vegan people, I might be an option right. for people putting this on as a marinade. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. So those are the things that we try to incent our reps to do. During promo time. During promo time, and it, has, and, and it typically accompanies some other type of deal. So you might say, listen, I'm going to give you $25 for getting an extra 10 cases off shelf. Right? Who's your giving? You're giving that to? You do some of it to the rep, and sometimes you give it to the retail. Right. So the rep is the It's is real the estate. It's just like you're not going to move to an, an apartment and not pay rent. Right. It's, wherever right. you go in that store, you have to pay something. Right. In yeah. relationships are are key there it's so interesting because that's kind of like the biggest common theme of the of my year of learning i could write like a book on my year of learning (laughs) of this amazing business um 
But, you know, you just don't know what you don't know. So, like, you don't know how much goes into it. Like, you go to the grocery store, you don't think that, like, I mean, you kind of hear that there's this thing called slotting. And you kind of know that it makes sense. Like, grocery stores don't make a ton of money on the products, right? They make the money elsewhere. Selling and it's, it's selling their, their real estate, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, so, it's interesting. Okay. So I want to keep going. What I just, okay, so aside from someone on the ground who's talking and building those relationships, who's, you know, how would you say a small, like, should someone hire a head of sales day one? Again, you know, I go back and it always goes back to that initial discussion um, kind of during the, um, the negotiation of the partnership. And it's like, what is our expectation? And right. if your expectation is to spend top line spend to get top line you might want to create a structure to support like this crazy network right but you know we've had brands in the past that said listen we want to be profitable and we've helped them manage that so in most cases that would just be people that would be up and down the street filling gaps selling deals whatever it might be to get on the shelf right which is now what we have Mm -hmm. which is really nice yay courtney um, okay, so w- do you sit down with brands at the beginning of the year? Like, are we about to sit down and make our promotional calendar for the year? Oh, my God, we meet every week. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do, you know, do you plan it out the we, whole We the do whole a 2019 year? plan. Yeah, we do. We okay. typically do a 2018 review. We, we try to talk about what's worked and what hasn't. So In each different, you sort of break it channel. down by channel. Yeah, so we have the whole account team there, you know, probably about eight or 10 people, and we talk about it. In some cases, we narrow it down even by customer, for example, Fresh Direct or right. or, or Jet or, or right. but, but we try to outline what the plan is then based on our, our experience, what the plan is for 2019. The channels are a little confusing to me too. Like I don't entirely understand. I get there's like conventional natural mm-hmm. specialty. Um, but it seems like they're all sort of merging. Like there's definitely a natural thing happening in conventional, and they're, you know what I mean? Like they're, yeah. they're still. I mean, they might be. Well, I think like the conventional only cro- stores, in my opinion, there. I mean, Wegmans is a great crossover account. Right. I think Fairway is doing a pretty good job of it by spreading outside of their, you know, their core locations to Pelham and other locations. Stews does a pretty nice job. Stu Leonard does a pretty right. nice job spreading out. I've heard amazing things about that. And, and from a large format store like Shoprite. You know, they cross every, you know, they, they cover everything from a high demographic, you know, South Jersey to a, right. you know, dense Metro Philly type location. I mean, so do you have to have a different strategy well, for each channel? It depends on your resources. So, you know, my, you know, my advice typically for mm-hmm. a brand that says, listen, I just want to, you know, I want to build my brand. Right. I want to make money. I don't want to lose money every month. Let's start out slow. Let's go with the core 250A accounts that are in this market and, and spread out from there. Sprinkle it with um, you know some better for you chains and, mm-hmm. and some food service. Right. That's what we do. Okay. And then let's talk about um, category reviews because I did not know that mm-hmm. those existed. And apparently... <laughs> Courtney invented those. <laughs> <laughs> um, does Fresh Direct do category reviews? Yes. 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 And so there's a, speci- there's a time every year where your particular category and if you don't know what a category is listen back a few episodes um because it's important to know your category i would say it's primary importance to know your category to know as much about your category as possible and the segment within your category 
So, I mean, we have a very big, broad category that is sauces, marinades, dressings. You know, I mean, we have a 93.5 household penetration rate, which is something I now know. <laughs> um, don't make that face. And, um, you know, but, but refrigerated within that, is, yeah. there is none. Like, like you I can't that, get data on that. And I think, and sorry to interrupt you, but I think, you know, I think New York is unique because you can launch it any time of year. Because if you look at the base business in New York for any distributor in our space, independence rule. Right. Independence. And, and when you say independence, just to clarify, you mean just like those. those There's not 5,000 category reviews. Right. You walk in. It's High a relationship. Time market. Hey, I would like I to. I love this product. Right. We had a great. I think in your episode, is it a pork meatball with, from Mexico or something? <laughs> right. Right? And you sell it. Right. But I think you go to a Wegmans, he's like, oh, six months from now. You right. go to a Walgreens, oh, it's a year from now. So can you explain what the process is of a category review and how, because, for example, like, I didn't know when Whole Foods was for my category, but in order mm-hmm. to be, you know, Sean basically was like, this is when it is. This is what you have to mm-hmm. send these samples to this place. Right. And then they'll let you know. In most cases sometime. nowadays, on the, from a chain standpoint, traditional grocery standpoint, there is at least one or two review periods per year. So you have to be, you have to recognize that. And what we do, what Sean and I do pretty well, is we try to find you know, more than one category to represent. So right. we might represent yours in a condiment category just because it's earlier than... I a sauce see. category. Got it. And so they they look at they look at it. Do they also they're reviewing everyone who's in the that store space. already and anyone Both. who wants to come in. Both. And then they basically decide, okay, these guys stay in, these guys come in, these mm-hmm. guys don't make it in, and then in a few months from then they do a reset of the category and then they put you on the shelf or they don't. Yeah. Is that basically That's how accurate? It works. Does Whole Foods operate a little differently because they also have the local program? Like, because you might not be on like the, you might not be on that sort of like regional category review level, but you're in a couple stores and you're doing well. And so the, each individual buyer kind of has their, a little bit of shelf space to, to put you in, even though you haven't made it through the whole category review. I'll get in trouble if I answer. So Sean, <laughs> so you gonna let me answer? <laughs> um, so I'll be political then. Um, no, you have to follow the category. Yes. Review. Got it. Okay. No deviation. Got it. No deviation. Okay. We have a couple more minutes. Um, are there any underrepresented categories that you see or anything that you wish someone would send you that you would be like, I would love this product to be on the shelves? I think, you know, one space that we're looking at right now is, is snacks. Still is growing. Yeah. I think, um, I think it's still underrepresented from a from an innovation standpoint. Yeah, and fresh snacks. I mean, we were just in that Business Insider thing about shelf-stable products, traditionally shelf-stable pro- Did you see us in that article? No, I missed mm. it. I'll send it to you. <laughs> um, we were like the cover child oh, for cool. like traditionally shelf-stable categories and products being yes. brought into refrigerated and fresh. And obviously there are all these new bars that are coming out mm-hmm. and like things like that. And But that's another thing. People are going to have to figure out where the heck those go There's on no the shelf too. Right I mean, they're, no. they're building it out right now. Yeah. Right. Um, okay, so you'd like to see more of that. And you want to you be there in the same spot? What? As refrigerated bars? 
I mean, depending Maybe. on the, what the, what's the margin <laughs> I knew structure. It. Yeah. I knew it. I, I'm like, I don't know. That You're sounds so cool. Aggressive. And Courtney's thinking about margin structure. It's <laughs> clearly that I have some more to learn right. on this podcast because I had no idea that that was even a question. Um, okay. And other trends that you're seeing or things that you're seeing, you're, what would you say? Do not make this product. It is oversaturated. You are not going to make any money. Stay far away. Can we say it in unison? Cold brew yeah, coffee. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> Enough with the cold brew Enough coffee. Enough with the cold brew. Yeah. Don't well, because... add CBDs. Don't add MCTs. It doesn't matter. <laughs> right. Don't add. <laughs> right. Got it. No adaptogens. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think it. I think what starts to happen is kind of what happened with juice. It's it's it yeah. becomes there. The differentiation isn't what makes you anymore. It's your lower it's price, price is what it's makes you. It's a race you to the bottom. It's yeah, a race to the bottom. Yeah. We definitely don't want that. Um, okay, anything that you um, wish you had known before you took us on? <laughs> no, I think it's been a great experience. I, I didn't have a bad experience, and I know you, I think you it wasn't and your team. Bad. No, it I wasn't thought it was bad. a. Listen, you just had to listen. That's all you had to do. <laughs> I'm just teasing. Yeah, if yeah. you guys could see that face right now, be no, crazy. I'm smiling. I'm smiling. I think you have exceeded our expectations. I think um, your products are amazing, and I think as a team, you're great to work with. And I think a um, couple of hiccups at Whole Foods, but we've done a nice job. Awesome. Yeah. Tell us you. more. <laughs> no, that's so cool. Um, and any parting, and Sean, you are going to have to answer this. Parting advice and wisdom for someone who is just starting out on this wild ride and don't say, don't, don't do it. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the first advice. Yeah. After that, just being open and being transparent. I think that's the key. And engaged. engaged. And engaged, yeah. As long as we're aligned, oh. I think it. Um, the brands that okay. work well in our system are the ones who are engaged. Totally. Got it. Totally. How could you do this and not be oh engaged? Oh, my God. Well, you'd, you'd you have no idea. Yeah. You have no idea. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, I was thinking about Matt, our engineer, because I was thinking about how similar to, no, this is, he's laughing, but similar to like people thinking like, oh, you make a product and then you sell it on the shelf. I think people also think, oh, you go into a thing, you record a thing and then it's a podcast. Mm -hmm. It actually takes some work and it takes some, some, some legwork and some engineering prowess and there's a lot that goes into it. So when I say every week, thank you, Matt, for being a great engineer, I mean, thank you, Matt, for <laughs> Thanks, being Matt. a great engineer and for like getting this out there. I record on Mondays. As long as I fill in my little description of what the show is about Monday night, it's up on Tuesdays. That's kind of awesome. Um, so thank you. And I guess we'll see you next time on In the Sauce. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place and we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.